Book Two, Chapter Two, Part Five of the Octopus by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. He galloped away along the lower road in the direction of Quien Sabe, emerging from the grove of cypress and eucalyptus about the ranch house and coming out upon the bare brown plain of the wheatland, stretching away from him in apparent barrenness on either hand. It was late in the day. Already his shadow was long upon the padded dust of the road in front of him. On ahead, a long ways off and a little to the north, the venerable Campanile of the Mission San Juan was glinting radiant in the last rays of the sun, while behind him, toward the north and west, the gilded dome of the courthouse at Bonneville stood silhouetted in purplish black against the flaming west. Annixter spurred the buckskin forward. He feared he might be late for his supper. He wondered if it would be brought to him by Hilma. Hilma! The name struck across in his brain with a pleasant, glowing tremor. All through that day of activity, of strenuous business, the minute and cautious planning of the final campaign in the great war of the League and the Trust, the idea of her and the recollection of her had been the undercurrent of his thoughts. At last he was alone. He could put all other things behind him and occupy himself solely with her. In that glory of the day's end, in that chaos of sunshine, he saw her again. Unimaginative, crude, direct, his fancy nevertheless placed her before him, steeped in sunshine, saturated with glorious light, brilliant, radiant, alluring. He saw the sweet simplicity of her carriage, the statuesque evenness of the contours of her figure the single deep swell of her bosom, the solid masses of her hair. He remembered the small contradictory suggestions of feminine daintiness he had so often remarked about her, her slim, narrow feet, the little steel buckles of her low shoes, the knot of black ribbon she had begun to wear of late on the back of her head, and he heard her voice, low-pitched, velvety, a sweet, murmuring huskiness, that seemed to come more from her chest than from her throat. The buckskin's hoofs clattered upon the gravelly flats of Broderson's Creek underneath the long trestle. Annixter's mind went back to the scene of the previous evening, when he had come upon her at this place. He set his teeth with anger and disappointment. Why had she not been able to understand? What was the matter with these women, always set upon this marrying notion? Was it not enough that he wanted her more than any other girl he knew, and that she wanted him? She had said as much. Did she think she was going to be mistress of Quien Sabe? Ah, that was it. She was after his property, was for marrying him because of his money. His unconquerable suspicion of the woman, his innate distrust of the feminine element, would not be done away with. What fathomless duplicity was hers that she could appear so innocent! It was almost unbelievable. In fact, was it believable? For the first time doubt assailed him. Suppose Hilma was indeed all that she appeared to be. Uh, suppose it was not with her a question of his property, after all. It was a poor time to think of marrying him for his property when all Quien Sabe hung in the issue of the next few months. Suppose she had been sincere. But he caught himself up. Was he to be fooled by a female girl at this late date? He, Buck Annixter, crafty, hard-headed, a man of affairs? Not much. 
Whatever transpired, he would remain the master. He reached Quien Sabe in this frame of mind, but at this hour Annixter, for all his resolutions, could no longer control his thoughts. As he stripped the saddle from the buckskin and led her to the watering trough by the stable corral, his heart was beating thick at the very notion of being near Hilma again. It was growing dark, but covertly he glanced here and there out of the corners of his eyes to see if she was anywhere about. Annixter, how he could not tell, had become possessed of the idea that Hilma would not inform her parents of what had passed between them the previous evening under the long trestle. He had no idea that matters were at an end between himself and the young woman. He must apologize, he saw that clearly enough, must eat crow, as he told himself. Well, he would eat crow. He was not afraid of her any longer, now that she had made her confession to him. He would see her as soon as possible and get this business straightened out and begin again from a new starting point. What he wanted with Hilma, Annixter did not define clearly in his mind. At one time he had known perfectly well what he wanted. Now the goal of his desires had become vague. He could not say exactly what it was. He preferred that things should go forward without much idea of consequences. If consequences came, they would do so naturally enough, and of themselves. All that he positively knew was that Hilma occupied his thoughts morning, noon, and night, that he was happy when he was with her, and miserable when away from her. The Chinese cook served his supper in silence. Annixter ate and drank and lighted a cigar, and after his meal sat on the porch of his house, smoking and enjoying the twilight. The evening was beautiful, warm, the sky one powder of stars. From the direction of the stables he heard one of the Portuguese hands picking a guitar. But he wanted to see Hilma. The idea of going to bed without at least a glimpse of her became distasteful to him. Annixter got up, and, descending from the porch, began to walk aimlessly about between the ranch buildings, with eye and ear alert. Possibly he might meet her somewheres. The tree's little house, toward which inevitably Annixter directed his steps, was dark. Had they all gone to bed so soon? He made a wide circuit about it, listening, but heard no sound. The door of the dairy house stood ajar. He pushed it open and stepped into the odorous darkness of its interior. The pans and deep cans of polished metal glowed faintly from the corners and from the walls. The smell of new cheese was pungent in his nostrils. Everything was quiet. There was nobody there. He went out again, closing the door, and stood for a moment in the space between the dairy house and the new barn, uncertain as to what he should do next. As he waited there, his foreman came out of the men's bunkhouse on the other side of the kitchens and crossed over toward the barn. "'Hello, Billy,' muttered Annixter as he passed. "'Oh, good evening, Mr. Annixter,' said the other, pausing in front of him. "'I didn't know you were back. I, by the way,' he added, speaking as though the matter was already known to Annixter, "'I see old man Tree and his family are left us. Uh, are they going to be gone long? Have they left for good?' "'What's that?' Annixter exclaimed. "'When did they go? Did, did all of them go, all three? "'Why, I thought you knew. Sure.' They all left on the afternoon train for San Francisco. Cleared out in a hurry. Took all their trunks. Yes, all three went. The young lady, too. They gave me notice early this morning. 
They ain't ought to have done that. I, I don't know who I'm going to get to run the dairy on such short notice. Do you know anyone, Mr. Annixter? Well, why in hell did you let them go? vociferated Annixter. Why didn't you keep them here till I got back? Why didn't you find out if they were going for good? I can't be everywhere. What do I feed you for if it ain't to look after things I can't attend to? He turned on his heel and strode away straight before him, not caring where he was going. He tramped out from the group of ranch buildings, holding on over the open reach of the ranch, his teeth set, his heels digging furiously into the ground. The minutes passed. He walked on swiftly, muttering to himself from time to time, "'Gone by the Lord! Gone by the Lord! By the Lord! Harwich is cleared out!' As yet his head was empty of all thought. He could not steady his wits to consider this new turn of affairs. He did not even try. "'Gone by the Lord!' he exclaimed. "'By the Lord! She's cleared out!' He found the irrigating ditch and the beaten path made by the ditch tenders that bordered it, and followed it some five minutes, then struck off at right angles over the rugged surface of the ranch land to where a great white stone jutted from the ground. There he sat down, and leaning forward rested his elbows on his knees, and looked out vaguely into the night, his thoughts swiftly readjusting themselves. He was alone. The silence of the night, the infinite repose of the flat bare earth, two immensities, widened around and above him like illimitable seas. A gray half-light, mysterious, grave, flooded downward from the stars. Annixter was in torment. Now there could be no longer any doubt. Now it was Hilma or nothing. Once out of his reach, once lost to him, and the recollection of her assailed him with unconquerable vehemence. Much as she had occupied his mind, he had never realized till now how vast had been the place she had filled in his life. He had told her as much, but even then he did not believe it. Suddenly a bitter rage against himself overwhelmed him as he thought of the hurt he had given her the previous evening. He should have managed differently. How, he did not know, but the sense of the outrage he had put upon her abruptly recoiled against him with cruel force. Now he was sorry for it, infinitely sorry, passionately sorry. He had hurt her. He had brought the tears to her eyes. He had so flagrantly insulted her that she could no longer bear to breathe the same air with him. She had told her parents all. She had left Quien Sabe, had left him for good, at the very moment when he believed he had won her. Brute, beast that he was, he had driven her away. An hour went by, then two, then four, then six. Annixter still sat in his place, groping and battling in a confusion of spirit, the like of which he had never felt before. He did not know what was the matter with him. He could not find his way out of the dark and out of the turmoil that wheeled around him. He had had no experience with women. There was no precedent to guide him. How was he to get out of this? What was the clue that would set everything straight again? That he would give Hilma up never once entered his head. Have her he would. She had given herself to him, 
everything should have been easy after that and instead here he was alone in the night wrestling with himself in deeper trouble than ever and hilma farther than ever away from him it was true he might have hilma even now if he was willing to marry her but marriage to his mind had been always a vague most remote possibility almost as vague and as remote as his death a thing that happened to some men but that would surely never occur to him or if it did it would be after long years had passed when he was older more settled more mature an event that belonged to the period of his middle life distant as yet he had never faced the question of his marriage he had kept it at an immense distance from him it had never been a part of his order of things he was not a marrying man but hilma was an ever-present reality as near to him as his right hand marriage was a formless far distant abstraction hilma a tangible imminent fact before he could think of the two as one before he could consider the idea of marriage side by side with the idea of hilma measureless distances had to be traversed things as disassociated in his mind as fire and water had to be fused together and between the two he was torn as if upon a rack slowly by imperceptible degrees the imagination unused unwilling machine began to work the brain's activity lapsed proportionately he began to think less and feel more in that rugged composition confused dark harsh a furrow had been driven deep a little seed planted a little seed at first weak forgotten lost in the lower dark places of his character but as the intellect moved slower its functions growing numb the idea of self dwindled annixter no longer considered himself no longer considered the notion of marriage from the point of view of his own comfort his own wishes his own advantage he realized that in his new-found desire to make her happy he was sincere there was something in that idea after all to make someone happy how about that now it was worth thinking of far away low down in the east a dim belt a gray light began to whiten over the horizon the tower of the mission stood black against it the dawn was coming the baffling obscurity of the night was passing hidden things were coming into view annixter his eyes half closed his chin upon his fist allowed his imagination full play how would it be if he should take hilma into his life this beautiful young girl pure as he now knew her to be innocent noble with the inborn nobility of dawning womanhood an overwhelming sense of his own unworthiness suddenly bore down upon him with crushing force as he thought of this he had gone about the whole affair wrongly he had been mistaken from the very first she was infinitely above him he did not want he should not desire to be the master it was she his servant poor simple lowly even who should condescend to him abruptly there was presented to his mind's eye a picture of the years to come if he now should follow his best his highest his most unselfish impulse 
he saw Hilma, his own, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, all barriers down between them, he giving himself to her as freely, as nobly, as she had given herself to him. By a supreme effort, not of the will, but of the emotion, he fought his way across that vast gulf that for a time had gaped between Hilma and the idea of his marriage. Instantly, like the swift blending of beautiful colors, like the harmony of beautiful chords of music, the two ideas melted into one, and in that moment into his harsh, unlovely world a new idea was born. Annixter stood suddenly upright, a mighty tenderness, a gentleness of spirit, such as he had never conceived of, in his heart strained, swelled, and in a moment seemed to burst. Out of the dark furrows of his soul, up from the deep rugged recesses of his being, something rose, expanding. He opened his arms wide. An immense happiness overpowered him. Actual tears came to his eyes. Without knowing why, he was not ashamed of it. This poor, crude fellow, harsh, hard, narrow, with his unlovely nature, his fierce truculency, his selfishness, his obstinacy, abruptly knew that all the sweetness of life, all the great vivifying eternal force of humanity had burst into life within him. The little seed, long since planted, gathering strength quietly, had at last germinated. Then, as the realization of this hardened into certainty, in the growing light of the new day that had just dawned for him, Annixter uttered a cry. Now, at length, he knew the meaning of it all. Why, I, 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 I love her, he cried. Never until then had it occurred to him, never until then in all his thoughts of Hilma had that great word passed his lips. It was a Memnonian cry, the greeting of the hard, harsh image of man, rough-hewn, flinty, granitic, uttering a note of joy, acclaiming the new-risen sun. By now it was almost day. The east glowed opalescent. All about him Annixter saw the land inundated with light. But there was a change. Overnight something had occurred. In his perturbation the change seemed to him at first elusive, almost fanciful, unreal. But now, as the light spread, he looked again at the gigantic scroll of ranch lands unrolled before him from edge to edge of the horizon. The change was not fanciful. The change was real. The earth was no longer bare. The land was no longer barren, no longer empty, no longer dull brown. All at once Annixter shouted aloud. There it was, the wheat, the wheat, the little seed long planted germinating in the deep dark furrows of the soil, straining, swelling suddenly in one night had burst upward to the light. The wheat had come up. It was there before him, around him, everywhere, illimitable, immeasurable. The winter brownness of the ground was overlaid with a little shimmer of green. The promise of the sowing had been fulfilled. The earth, the loyal mother who never failed, who never disappointed, was keeping her faith again. Once more the strength of nations was renewed. Once more the force of the world was revivified. Once more the titan, benignant, calm, stirred and woke and the morning abruptly blazed into glory upon the spectacle of a man whose heart leaped exuberant with the love of a woman 
and an exulting earth gleaming transcendent with the radiant magnificence of an inviolable pledge. End of Book Two, Chapter Two.